You are listening to the Tour des Flâneurs, the cycling podcast at the 2022 Tour de France, powered by Super Sapien. Energy management for committed athletes and coaches. Stage 21, today we're in Paris. Francois Thomaso, we've made it. We completed the Limoges to Paris Classic. Not the most exciting parkour on the auto route, was it? But we left Rocamadour last night and got north to Limoges just to chisel off a bit of the long journey up to Paris. And we did the rest this morning and we've arrived for the final stage of the Tour de France. And it's a familiar feel. All the team buses are parked just off the Place de la Concorde. Team staff are kind of allowing themselves to just relax a little bit. I've seen the Antomarche uh, soigneurs and mechanics coming back with a big pile of pizza boxes for everyone to eat while the riders finish the hard work of racing up and down the Champs-Élysées and bringing the curtain down on the Tour de France. Yeah, it's a little bit ironical that, uh, you know, the riders will be treated to pizza boxes tonight when we're actually standing in front of the Maxime's, which is the, one of the most famous restaurants in Paris and pretty posh and very, very expensive. But it's closed on Sundays, obviously. So that's probably why they went for Pizza Hut or whatever it is. <laughs> but anyway, uh, there we are. Yeah, you you wanted us, I think, Lionel, to uh, have a little survey of what, uh, how the teams uh, performed in this Tour de France as we walk along the buses uh, and yeah just in front of us as you said you know Intermarché Wanty Gobert uh, verdict well I think they probably performed to par haven't they Louis Menkes came into the race hoping for a top 10 position and he finished 8th uh, he was 2nd on the stage to Alpe d'Huez Taco van der Horn was very close to winning the cobbled stage wasn't he he was 2nd there probably pretty disappointed and all 8 riders have finished but they didn't really uh, perform the function of kind of breakaway specialists that maybe we would have expected. They had a few people up the road, but I think they'll be pretty happy with that. Um, no stage win, of course, but well, top the, 10 overall. The stage is not finished, you, you never know. Alexander Kristoff, you know, uh, oh. uh, who already won a Champs-Élysées. If things go, you know, according to plan, I mean, he's not a favourite, obviously, but who knows? Who knows indeed? Well, the Cycling Podcast famously wrote Alexander Kristoff off um, years ago, and then he promptly won on the Champs-Élysées. Uh, yeah, this is our kind of impromptu, uh, random end-of-tour report as we walk around the team buses. It's a tradition we started a few years ago, and uh, in no particular order, really. It's just as we see the buses. Next up, Astana, who... I think have had a really poor tour, even though Alexei Lutsenko has crept into the top 10 with two very good stages in the Pyrenees where he finished fifth and sixth, and he's going to end ninth, but really almost anonymous apart from that. They lost Gianni Moscon very early. Uh, they also lost Fabio Fellini, who might have been a, an outsider for some reasonable results in sprints, but a poor tour for Astana, I think. Yeah, I really couldn't tell you who was in the team, you know. Uh, I, I, I have a list of starters uh, in my pocket, you know, throughout the Tour de France. And you, and you go, you know, looking through, through the list, you know, to, for, for riders who could make an impression. I wonder if you make a little bit of a, a prediction. And uh, to be honest, uh, apart from Lutsenko, I mean, it's been a very, very poor uh, tour for Astana. Uh, well, compared to, the, to their past uh, record on Grand Tours and on, on the Tour itself. Uh, yeah, I mean, Lutsenko, and Lutsenko started a, a little bit ill, apparently, and he, you know, he gathered form as the, as the Tour went on. Well, well done for him, you know, he's a top-ten finisher, but not much to say about Astana. 
No, Simone Velasco, 31st overall, best Italian in the race. I mean, that says more about Italian cycling perhaps than it does about Astana even. Uh, but let's go round the corner and see who we see next. The cycling podcast at the 2022 Tour de France, powered by Super Sapien. Energy management for committed athletes and coaches. Still guessing on fueling? Not sure what or when to eat and drink on rides that matter? Never again. Optimize your fueling strategy with real-time glucose data, actionable insight, and personalized analytics. We are here to help you achieve your performance goals. Go to supersapiens.com for more on how to track your energy levels and fuel for success. Thank you very much to Super Sapiens. They've seen us through the 2022 edition of the Tour de France. They're our title sponsors, of course, and they have a system of continuous glucose monitoring, which you can wear to see how your body responds to fueling, exercise and sleep. And as a result of the readings, you can tailor the way you prepare for your training and racing. Now, Super Sapiens is for everyone, but glucose monitoring is a really important fact of life for type 1 diabetics. And the Novo Nordisk team, funnily enough, Novo Nordisk, a Danish company based in uh, Copenhagen, I think. Um, all of their riders are type 1 diabetics. And last year, a film crew followed the team all season. And the film Ride for Your Life is available to watch on Outside Online now. And this is a little teaser, a little trailer from that film. An issue for these guys is to calculate how many units they have to inject. If during the race your sugar is high and you haven't been able to eat anything, you come to the car and we make corrections in terms of one unit. And you have something to test the sugar or no? Just needle, it's okay. How much? 78, it says. Everybody is just going outside of their skin riding to demonstrate what's possible with our condition. And there's no better way to do that than getting great results. Go to Outside Online and look up the film Ride for Your Life if you want to watch the Novo Nordisk documentary and go to supersapiens.com to find out more about Super Sapiens. Arkea Samsic then, Francois, one of the French teams would have had high hopes for Warren Barguil, but uh, he pulled out of the race with COVID. But Naira Quintana, sixth overall, and looking really good on the Col du Granon stage where he was second, was uh, punished for holding on to one of the motorbikes and had a time penalty uh, in the Pyrenees. Um, but finishes sixth overall, a couple of top tens for Capio and Hofstetter. Um, what do you make of Arkea Samsic? I think they did the tour they, they needed to you know to have. I mean, uh, pro probably they were you know, hoping for a better result for Quintana, top five maybe, but it's not far from that. He showed he's, he still has you know has it. I mean, he's he's now almost a, an old timer compared to the to the young you know up and coming riders. But you know, top six uh, is, is is a pretty good result. And as you said, you know Capio and especially Offsetter. Was the uh, was was regular in ninth place? I mean, he's, he's, he's always almost always between eight and ten. Uh, maybe one day there'll be a crash or something. I mean, I'm not that 
I'm hoping for it. And Hofstetter will have this his day, but very consistent towards you know between eighth and tenth. Uh, well, what can I what can I say? Uh, <laughs> It's it's a little bit you know maybe he'll turn one day into a great lead out man. Obviously, he doesn't have the, the you know the, the 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 strength, the speed, the kick required to shine at the Grand Tour level. But yeah, generally, I think the uh, Arkea something got what they uh, they had come for. It strikes me that we should be awarding some kind of uh, star number of stars out of five or ten or something. I know Daniel Freib's patented copyrighted system of rating the entertainment factor of the Tour de France with wine glasses out of five we can't use wine glasses I think in the past we've used bidons I was going to suggest maybe face masks for the for the teams that got through with the fewest Covid cases but maybe that's a a little bit poor taste uh, quick stepper just over there Francois and I mean they had an absolutely fantastic opening weekend Yves Lampart won the time trial in Copenhagen probably against the odds really and then Fabio Jakobsen backed that up the next day so they had the yellow jersey, uh, Jakobsen had the stage win. Uh, but since then, it's not gone all that brilliantly, has it? Um, they lost Askreen and Mikkel Merku, uh, heroically outside the time limit by more than an hour, Merku. And it's been a struggle for Jakobsen in the mountains. We are, of course, talking before the sprint finish on the Champs-Élysées today, as the, the break just goes past us over there. Um, I suppose, looking back... And the decision to leave out Mark Cavendish, which was the big talking point at the start. Patrick Lefevre will feel that he got it right because Jakobsen got a stage win. And it's not as if there were multiple opportunities for the sprinters, really. No, I don't think Mark Cavendish would have won more stages than Fabio Jakobsen. And if you know, and he would have struggled as much as Jakobsen did in the mountain. And the same, the same guys, you know, Florian Seneschal, Yves Lampert, Lampart would have had to do the same job of, you know, trying to to make him past the mountains. And he would be today uh, looking for a, for a sprint win on the Champs Elysees, which is very doubtful. If you don't have Asgreen, you know, to 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 lead the lead out in a way and and, and Michael Murku to finish the job before uh, you know uh, you, you launch your sprint. It's, it's going to be very. It would have been very difficult for Cavendish, and I suppose it would be very difficult for Jakobsen. I mean, we, you know, stage is not finished, so maybe I'll be proved wrong. Israel Premier Tech are right in front of us, and I think you'd have to say they've had a brilliant tour with two stage wins: Simon Clark winning on the cobbles, and then Hugo Uhl winning in the Pyrenees at Foire. Um, they've lost Mike Woods today, another victim of COVID. So Mike Woods, the Canadian, doesn't finish the tour. Uh, Chris Froome also out with COVID, as was Clark. Um, I suppose we saw flashes of the old Chris Froome on Alpe d'Huez. He might have been both heartened and also a little kind of uh, disappointed by that because he didn't have uh, what was required to uh, keep up with the young whippersnapper Tom Pidcock. But two stage wins, 24th overall for Hugo Uhl. They weren't really in the GC race, but... Um, I would imagine they'll be very happy with that. Yeah, a much better tour, I, I suppose, than, than they expected. That Jakob Fugersanger, their leader in, uh, at the start of the Tour de France, and well, he was really below par and, and finally pulled out, uh, as many others in the team. So, you know, uh, it, it, the, the wins came from where you didn't expect them to, to come. Simon Clark nearly put an end to his career you know, last season and finally went on for one season with uh, Israel Premier Tech to win one of the most 
important stages of this Tour de France. And Hugo Hull, well, we told the story, uh, the, the, the perfect teammate, the hardworking, nice guy, finally get, you know, getting his day uh, you know, to win a stage in the Pyrenees on top of it. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, that, that's, and you mentioned Chris Froome as well. Uh, I, I really don't think they expected that much, especially as they had never won a Grand Tour stage before. What about Trek Segafredo then? Because they got a stage win with Mads Pedersen uh, in Saint-Étienne. He was also third back in Denmark and in uh, Carcassonne. Um, Balka Mollema, a fairly quiet tour, got in a few breaks, finished 25th overall. Had a very good time trial yesterday and well in the top 10 there for Mollema. But given the kind of the horsepower they've got in the team, I don't think they they didn't really get themselves into winning positions as often as perhaps they might. Yeah, no, a bit disappointed by uh, Trek Segafra. They, they obviously came on this sort of France for stage wins, uh, you know, like like Sunweb now uh, DSM used to do in the in the past. And apart from Mas Pedersen, who had a brilliant win, uh, the, the rest was Jasper Steuven was in a, in a few uh, breakaways as well. But by and large, as you said, Bokumalema were a little bit under par. I would, he read apparently the, 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 the seven or eight books he had taken uh, with him on the tour. Uh, well, maybe he should have read a little bit less. And uh, you know, <laughs> and, No, I, I, I like Molema as a rider. I'm a little bit disappointed. I, we really thought on some of the so-called transitional stages, the hardest one, ones. I mean, he, he was almost never in the breaks that mattered, which is not like him. So, yeah, uh, uh, an overall pretty disappointing Uh, in spite of a Mats Pedersen win. Yeah, Giulio Ciccone got in breaks but never got into the, to the front portion of those breaks when it really mattered. Jasper Sturven was always chasing on the cobbles. Well, that would have been a great day for him. Quinn Simmons was prominent a couple That's of right. days uh, but was completely blown off Wout van Aert's wheel on the stage to Longwy, if you remember. Um, so I'd say one stage win is just about kind of just about getting over the, the minimum bar for Trek Segafredo, I think, given the, the line-up. Um, we can see Lotto Sudal there, and uh, without being unkind, it's been a really, really tough tour for them. I mean, Tim Wellens they lost with COVID, uh, seven finishers, Andreas Kron, 70th overall, their best rider, and his fourth place at Lausanne, their best stage result. And Caleb Ewan has been really out of sorts right from the start. I think, um, you know, he, he's had just two top tens. His best result was ninth at Sonnebor back in Denmark. And Philippe Gilbert given a kind of sentimental farewell to the Tour de France, but really got off the front once, I can remember. Maybe he did again, I can't recall, but um, yeah, a sentimental final appearance for Gilbert and a, so far a very deflating tour for Lotto Sudal. Very strange. Uh, you, you could you, you could tell from the from the lineup, uh, you know, at the start that you know uh, that this was a team that seemed to have no plan. I mean, all, all the plan was for uh, for Caleb Ewan, but I mean, it it, it, it it you know it didn't work. I wonder. I, I'm I'm a great fan of Tim Wellens, one of one of my favorite riders, but he always underperforms in uh, in the Tour de France. He has a problem with allergies in July. He's never in his best shape. It, it's a it's a little bit of a shame. To, 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 and, and you know, without his friend Thomas de Rent at the start, I mean, he, he, he looked out, out of sorts. So yeah, I mean, uh, Brent van Moor, who's usually a great breakaway rider, was never seen in any breaks. Uh, 
yes, uh, Bayern, uh, Andreas Kren was the one, as you said, who, who was, you know, who performed a little bit. He was on the break. Uh, he wasn't one of the, well, the breaks that could have gone all the way. And, and, and he crashed. He, he went out of the road when he was in the, going for the win. Uh, yes, I mean, I, I, I guess the, the, uh, the, the morale of the team was, was badly hurt by Caleb Ewan's uh, form uh, f- through all this tour. He might w- win again on the Champs-Élysées today. We, once again, we, we don't know, but serious doubts about him as well. Chute, chute à l'arrière du peloton, cycling podcast, team car, the back of the pack, please. That's Seb Piquet, the voice of Radio Tour at the Tour de France, to remind me to tell you that this episode is sponsored by Babbel, which is an app to help you learn a new language. Now, my French gets me by in hotels and restaurants but I've been adding to my basic understanding with the Babbel app because the lessons are effective, they're short, they take about 15 minutes and they give you language that you can use in practical situations. Babbel's lessons are created by over 150 language experts, that means real people so you're not learning AI phrases that don't mean anything. You can choose from 14 different languages, including Spanish, French, Italian and German. And Babbel's speech recognition technology helps you to improve your pronunciation and accent. There are many ways to learn with Babbel, because in addition to the app, you can use the podcast, play the games, watch the videos, or even join in live classes with a language teacher. So start your new language learning journey with Babbel today. Right now, Babbel is offering our listeners six months free with a purchase of a six-month subscription. Use the promo code CYCLING. Go to babbel.com slash play and use the promo code CYCLING for an extra six months free when you sign up for a six-month subscription. That's B-A-B-B-E-L dot com forward slash play, promo code CYCLING. Babbel, language learning that works. Well, Francois, 45 kilometres to go and just a four-man break hovering off the front. Benoit Kosnefois of AG2R, Niels Pollitt of Bora Hansgrohe, Chris Nylans of Israel Premier Tech and Pierre Latour of Total Energies. Now, I don't want to kind of beat up on um, Total Energies unnecessarily, but you have to wonder what are they making of this because a lot of money has gone into this team a lot of money has gone to Peter Sagan we know he's had trouble Um, he's not the rider of uh, yesterday Um, he's had Covid a few times but really anonymous in the tour a fourth place at Carcassonne a fourth place back in Denmark at Sonneborg Edvald Bosenhagen got into the move on the cobbled stage and looked for a moment like he might win it but ended up finishing third Pierre Latour I mean, 59th overall, we've seen better from him before. Uh, they lost Daniel Oss in the crash on the cobbles. They lost Alexis Viermo. Well done. Excellent pronunciation, Francois. Um, but, I mean, pound for pound, given that they've got more strings to their bow, perhaps, than, than Lotto Sudal, who, you know, have Caleb Ewan as their kind of obvious team leader, really, Total Energies haven't delivered anything, have they? No, I talked to Jean-René Bernardo, their, you know, their manager, and uh, in Lalduez, and already he knew, you know, he was a, 
uh, that tour was uh, was not going to be great. I mean, he, he mentioned health issues from most of them. Pierre Latour was not uh, great. Uh, Peter Sagan uh, was not in, in in shape, and as you said, Daniel's crashed. I mean, they, they so there was no not not great hopes actually for an ex- Alexis Villamour had this strange skin problem as well. I mean, there, there were not great hopes halfway through the the, the tour. They knew uh, that you know it would be very difficult to feature either in the GC where probably Latour was the only hope and uh, and for a stage win so uh, it's it's it, in a way it's a makeshift uh, team Total Energy with old uh, you know riders like uh, Edval uh, Boissonagen or Peter Sagan who have been probably hired for the points as much as for anything else and and it shows on the it shows on the road I mean you know there's there's, there's no coherence and uh, that there's a, you know you, I'm, I'm not doubting there is a team spirit there but you know that's obviously not a, not a clear plan on what they're trying to do so yeah uh, not not a great tour uh, we'll see for the future you know because uh, some signings are announced uh, in that team we'll see uh, we'll see what, where, where they go we can just see Movistar there and well Enric Mass, who's been on the podium in Grand Tours before uh, below par for him um, and then positive for Covid before stage 19 having sort of hauled himself into the top 10 but never really looking that convincing the best he looked probably was at La Planche de Belfi but he never really kicked on from there uh, Matteo Jorgensen probably had the most eye-catching um, day when he was chasing Ugo Uhl and crashed on the descent into Foix. He finished 21st overall, finished fourth in that stage. He also finished fourth at Megev. And Carlos Verona, third place at Châtel, was uh, Movistar's best result. And uh, an interesting story today because Gorka Izaguirre has pulled out of the tour in order to go home, not ride the final stage. He's gone home in order to ride the Villafranca Ordizia one-day race in the Basque Country, which is basically his home race tomorrow. So um, skipping the final stage in Paris in order to race um, back in the Basque Country maybe, maybe says it all about Movistar's tour. Yeah, well, obviously, you know, the losing uh, Alejandro Valverde and, and all the, 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 you know, the stars, the Spanish stars they had in the past was was a problem. Eric Mas, obviously, you know, affect, affected by COVID. Or <laughs> my impression was when he pulled that pulled out with COVID was that you know maybe COVID was an excuse for us for fading. But I mean, no, I, I'm nasty. No. I've been nasty there. But no, it, it yeah, no, a little bit disappointing because Eric uh, uh, Mas has been very uh, has been really riding a la Zubeldia for many many seasons now, finishing in top five, top six, you know, uh, in Grand Tours without uh, winning anything. Uh, best impression, Matteo Jorgensen uh, with Fred Wright, the two young and up-and-coming riders who really tried to be in the break, took risks. I mean, Matteo Jorgensen took so, m- so many risks that he crashed pretty badly as he was in a break, um, you know, in the, in, in the road to Foix. But that's the way you learn, that's the way you go forward. We know that Jor- Jorgensen is a great, uh, you know, hope. And uh, well, and yeah, he, he did what he, what he had to do in uh, you know in, uh, as, as an up-and-coming rider in Tour de France, and so well, the, we'll see what the future holds for him. Just there is Bike Exchange. I would say they had an excellent tour, winning a couple of stages. Dylan Groenewegen back in Denmark, of course, and then Michael Matthews uh, won at Mond, having been second to Van Aert at Lausanne and second to Tade Pogacar at Longwy. I mean, beaten by two of the best riders in the race into second place but he pulled off his win at Mond I mean it was an absolutely stellar performance that 
that finish at Mond is difficult. He was up there with some really, really good climbers. Um, a, a sort of classic racers win that. Uh, Nick Schultz, who's their best rider overall in 23rd, was second to Magnus Court at Megève. Um, very close for the Australian there. But um, I would say, having come hunting for stages, to go home with two, with two different riders, that's got to be a, a, a success. Uh, what would we give that? We'd probably give that... Uh, seven or eight cans of Australian lager out of ten. Yeah, I, th- I think that's that's uh, that's deserved. Especially the uh, Matthews win was really emphatic. I mean, he had he hadn't won on the, the tour for five years, and the way he did it, you know, like n- not uh, in the style that we expect from him, uh, with really uh, you know authority, the strength, uh, you know, consistency and uh, willpower well, was really nice and refreshing to see. Uh, as you said, well, like the, like Grunewald, and you had the impression they, they they both had something to prove on this Tour de France to get back to their best level uh, yeah I, th- I think they can be satisfied once again as you say Nick Schultz well you know al- always there uh, uh, when it mattered in uh, given his you know he's not one of the top GC contenders but I mean he did uh, his job and uh, by and large yeah uh, I think uh, a very good performance by the team and just over there is the B&B hotels bus it's trying to hide um, but I can see it uh, a little bit anonymous B&B hotels, although all eight of their riders on course to finish the tour, but really to no great effect. S- Sebastian Schoenberger, 35th overall, their best rider overall. OK, they're not a team with any real GC hope, but their only result to speak of, Luca Mozzato, who was sixth in Calais, uh, Alexis Gougere got into some good breaks, um, but wasn't going to win anything. Uh, I suppose the best you can say is that Jeremy Lecroc led the whole Tour de France for a while because he was the first man down the start ramp in the time trial in Copenhagen way back at the start. Very, very little to, uh, to say in f- for B&B hotels, to be honest. Let's move on then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, while we walk round to the other side of the team bus paddock, let's hear the impressions of two people who really brought the Cycling Podcast Tour coverage to life this year Mitch Docker who joined Francois and I for the first week of the race and then Ian Boswell who was with Francois although I did uh, jump back in at the end of the second week this is Mitch and Ian on their thoughts of the 2022 tour well it's freezing cold weather here back in Melbourne I'm just about to head out for a ride and Lionel asked me what did I find my what was my best memory from this year's Tour de France Well, first of all, look, I've got a few good things. First of all, starting in Denmark, back with the cycling podcast crew, it really felt great. And it was sort of heightened by that atmosphere in Denmark. Copenhagen was incredible. I love getting back in the car with Lionel and also Francois back in the nest. It really brought back great memories of my time last year there with Francois and Richard. So I was like, wow, this is going to be great. Once we got then to France, of course the highlight it's got to be everyone's highlight it's the Roubaix stage how good was that the whole stage was great but I loved running around with Lionel it felt like being back on the race the energy I got from the riders but also the energy from the crowd and that pressure to get to the next cobblestone sector to get to the finish I sort of like that adrenaline rush and I guess probably the last thing I really enjoyed was when, you know, Lionel gave me the keys to the city and, you know, Francois and I um, took over the podcast for a couple of days. I did feel the pressure and I started to understand how hard the job really is of producing that podcast. So I was honoured, you know, I was honoured that he saw me um, 
saw me fit in that position and, you know, went for it. I don't know what the listeners thought, but anyway, um, I had a really good time for the first 10 days on the Tour de France with the crew. Hey, Francois and Lionel. Hope you've been enjoying the last week of the Tour de France together. I sure do miss you guys. I had a great time. And as the race finishes in Paris today, I've uh, been doing a little bit of reflecting on my favorite moment of this year's tour. And surprisingly, I'm going to go all the way back to stage four when Wout van Aert won in Calais. I think that that stage in particular, you know, we'd had three pretty uneventful days up in Denmark, not the most exciting racing. And then when the race got to France and the way in which Wout van Aert won that stage, I think really set a precedent for this new age and this new era of racing. And I think we continue to see riders maybe taking inspiration from how Wout won that stage into how they were going to go about trying to win their own stage or get their own result at this year's tour. It's something completely different to the times that I participated in Grand Tours with Team Sky, where things were very controlled, very calculated, very predictable. I think this year we saw competitive you know, and unpredictable racing in just about every single stage. And I think that a lot of that could have been dictated by the way in which Wout van Aert won stage four. Clearly, he is a phenomenal athlete himself, and not many people could have made that effort that he did, but I think it did inspire other athletes to maybe think about racing slightly differently than they have raced in the past. My favorite memory of when I was at the race, it's nearly impossible to pick out one. I think what I enjoyed most was just being back in that heavily dense cycling world you know oftentimes i don't get to speak a lot about cycling here at home well, i get to speak about cycling but i don't necessarily have people to speak to it about um and i think i just really enjoyed being back in the tour bubble and and analyzing riders and you know tactics and strategy and you know the the upcoming stage i really enjoyed that being immersed in the race once again you know almost to the same degree if, if maybe not even more so than when I was a rider because then there's so many factors that how you're feeling and you know what your role with the team is but to kind of you know sit around at the dinner table or in the car and speculate and have discussions with Ed and Francois about the upcoming days and and see how our thoughts kind of transferred into how the race played out I really enjoyed that and I hope I get to come back for some point or some race down the road with the cycling podcast. Um, it has been a phenomenal three weeks of racing and Francois, I hope this isn't your last tour, but at the same time, having just covered a week of it, I know that, uh, four weeks on the road is a big, is a big ask, but you have done a fantastic job and, uh, it was a pleasure to learn from you and Lionel. Thank you so much for having me and for sharing a cassoulet with me in Carcassonne, and I hope to catch up with all of you guys very soon. Ciao. Well, into the final 20 kilometers now, Francois, and what's that? Five riders up the road. Not by very much. It's only 15 seconds. Two from Group Armour FDJ, Duchenne and Legac. Two from EF Education, Owen Duhl and Jonas Ruch, and Max Schachmann from Bora Hansgar. Well, let's talk about EF, shall we? Because I think they've had an absolutely stellar tour, haven't they? Yeah, I mean, yeah, it was not it was not won at first. I mean, the 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 main GC you know leader was uh, Rigoberto Uran, and it it was you know it was below par. Let's face it. So you 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 might have thought that that tour would be uh, you know a failure, 
But I mean, yet they had, of course, Magnus Court, uh, who from day one in Copenhagen, Chile's uh, Chile was forced out of the show with COVID, was really the man of the, the you know, he, did, he made the show, he won a stage in Megève, he was really the, uh, the man to, uh, you know, to, who, who made the, the beginning of the tour interesting, fascinating, fun. Uh, Nilsson Paulus proved once again what, what, what a great future he has ahead of him as probably a GC uh, contender if he managed to master his impulsions and you know gets to, to learn a little bit uh, about the science of, uh, of riding. Who else? Well, I thought uh, Alberto Betiol was decent, course, finishing yeah. second at Mond. Um, you know, that, that was a real battle, wasn't it, between him and Michael Matthews. But I think, yeah, Nielsen Paulus, the way they got him up the road on the cobbled stage and got him to gain some time, I thought that was really smart riding. It backfired on them a little bit with, uh, you know, the, the, the pictures of Betiol kind of riding on the front, perhaps when he should have been sitting in the wheels a bit more. But, I mean, I thought that was a little bit harsh, storming a teacup. Um, Paulus was within an ace of the yellow jersey all day on the stage to Longwy and had it not been for Pogaccio winning the stage maybe he would have been in yellow for a day or so his challenge did fade a little bit and he slipped to 13th overall but when you consider how badly it started on day one with Stefan Bissiger crashing twice in the time trial I'd say that EF would be uh, extremely happy with how their tour has gone uh, Group Armour FDJ I think you know, given the difficulties that Thibaut Pino has had, they'll also be pretty happy with having uh, managed to get David Godou up into fourth place overall because that was a real team effort, wasn't it? Him and uh, uh, Valentin Madouas worked really hard for that position and uh, Godou then pulled out a very good time trial. All eight riders finishing here in Paris, two of them up the road at the moment. Um, perhaps could have expected a bit more from Michael Storer. Um, a tough tour for him but he was uh, in some breaks here and there but Mark Maddio will obviously rue the fact that they didn't quite manage to pull off a stage win but I guess with the resources they had getting a top five overall and a stage win it might have been either or um, so perhaps they'll be quite happy with uh, Godou's overall finish. Yeah, they, they built their team around uh, David Godou. He was announced their goal at the start was a podium finish. They're not far from it. You know, they just had a at the foot of the podium with Godu, but I mean obviously the three riders on uh, ahead of Godu were untouchable uh, so so for them to not only being the first Frenchman but the, the best result by uh, uh, that team since Thibaut Pinot uh, were third on the, uh, you know in the tour uh, in 2014 I think is, is, a, is a great result I mean uh, I'm sure Godu uh, maybe lacked a little bit of confidence uh, you know and also lost a little bit of faith in himself when he saw guys of uh, his generation or younger than him like Pogacar, Vingegaard or Egan Bernal win Grand Tours he, he probably you know has you know, renewed trust in himself and we'll see it'll be interesting to see what he does uh, uh, next season and of course there, there was Thibaut Pinot I, th I think the, 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 the hopes of a stage win uh, lay probably on Thibaut Pinot's shoulders uh, there was a hope that he could you know, get into a break which he tried to do twice and, and go for a stage win unfortunately for him he obviously didn't have the right legs to do that and Bora Hansgrohe, who also represented in this break as they approached 15 kilometres to go. Alexander Vlasov, who crashed at the start of the tour, didn't he? But he's come really strong in the final week and has moved himself up to fifth overall. I'd imagine he'd be very happy with that and perhaps wondering what might have been had he not had a few difficult days around the um, outs. 
Leonard Kemner, who came within metres of winning at La Planche de Belfie and also got himself up to second overall, just 11 seconds off the yellow jersey when he got in the break at Megève. Uh, a decent tour for Bora Hansgrohe, but compared to their Giro, um, well, they didn't shine quite as brightly. Obviously, the level is slightly different here. Uh, I guess they'll be satisfied, but perhaps not delighted. Well, I, I suppose... You know, he always decided in the first week for Vlasov when he was not at his best. I think he crashed and he had health issues. And uh, and from then on, you know, for, for him to rebuild his shape and, and come back the way he did it in the in the in the third week is uh, is remarkable. I think he will, I think he's, he's worth probably even more than his his, his uh, final GC ranking. He was really one of the major outsiders uh, at the start of the of this Tour de France uh, I really 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 need to see Vlasov uh, you know ride a Grand Tour from A to Z in his best shape and lastly before we move on Francois Cofidis and nothing to write home about when it comes to the GC uh, John Izaguirre in 42nd place overall but Simon Geschkes had a very good tour I think got into a lot of breaks climbed very well the kind of parsimonious allocation of King of the Mountains points really counted against him because he turned himself inside out to try and win that jersey and then was steamrolled at the end because Vingegaard racing for the overall win of course gathered up the points now I know they want to weight it so that the bigger mountains count more but I feel like it was pretty harsh on Geschke to miss out on the jersey having really targeted it raced well for it and um, just been undone right at the death no he's, he's uh, yeah he's a great rider he's always he's been for a long time very consistent and deserved that, that at long last to i mean he was rewarded but with stage wins in the past but yeah i mean the, the, this would have crowned in a way a, a great career uh, as you know consistent solid all-rounder uh, well unfortunately for him you know being gone uh, was, was a little bit too strong uh, they, they, they came for the GC, I think, with Guillaume Martin, who was one of the first riders sent home with COVID, and, and then they, they had to change their plans, and that's when the Polka Dot came into, uh, you know, into view. Uh, maybe a small little uh, hint at uh, Benjamin Thomas, who's, uh, uh, you know, who's a very strong time trial specialist and comes from the track and uh, was riding his first tour and w- was often there in the, in, in the, in the finales of the stages uh, as a, at a couple of uh, top 10 finishes and was a very consistent and yeah probably a, a, a rider to watch in the future Well we'll wrap up the rest of the teams a little bit later on but there has been another race on the Champs-Élysées this afternoon and that was stage one of the Tour de France fam and we're going to catch up with Rose Manley who will be hosting daily coverage of the Tour de France fam for the cycling podcast Feminin this coming week and find out what the atmosphere was like this afternoon and crucially who won the stage and is wearing the first yellow jersey in the history of the race. You are listening to the cycling podcast at the 2022 Tour de France fam. Powered by Super Sapiens, energy management for committed athletes and coaches. Stage one, today, within Paris. I've come away from the team bus area to a little brasserie, uh, I think it's called the Brasserie de Madeleine, a little walk away from the Place de la Concorde, and I'm joined by, delighted to be joined by, Rose Manley. Hello, Rose. <laughs> Hello, Lionel. Well, this is where you'll always find me, in a brasserie with a beer. I've just been here the whole time that you guys have been working so hard at the tour, and this, I've just been waiting here for you guys to come and find me. Just waiting for the baton or the microphone to be handed over, because you're here, of course, for the Tour de France fam, which started here in Paris this afternoon and continues through to next Sunday to uh, La Super Planche de Belfi. 
and uh, you're going to be leading our coverage, daily coverage of the Tour de France Fam kicks off tomorrow and uh, well you were out on the course weren't you um, but while we're here face to face I can also thank you in person for last week anchoring our coverage so brilliantly with Francois and Ian out in France held it all together kept them in check thank you very much for that so really looking forward to hearing the coverage this coming week but you were out watching the race this afternoon on the Champs-Élysées. So this is uh, your summary of stage one of the Tour de France fam. La réalité, c'est aujourd'hui. Et dans quelques secondes, mesdames et messieurs, nous allons écouter l'hymne national de la France, la Marseillaise. Champs-Élysées now and uh, attacks coming thick and fast it looks like EF uh, very keen to, to get a break to stick here on the Champs-Élysées you might be able to hear the helicopters going on above all of the cars uh, are just going through now all the team cars ready to, to help if anything uh, anything happens of course this is nothing new for the uh, riders of this peloton they've been on Champs-Élysées before most notably Le Course 2014, 2015, 2016, they had a one-day race here, the kind of precursor to what is now now the Tour de France uh, fam that we have. So for a lot of these riders, there won't be anything new riding on the Champs-Élysées, but uh, there's so much more at stake here. Uh, getting to wear the yellow jersey, getting to, to be part of a, a stage race under the Tour de France umbrella. Uh, I'm going to head up to the finish line where a little bit further from the crowds and, uh, yeah, see what we can see there. 600 metres to go. You can see Jan Bavisma at the front. They're going to be working so hard for Mariana Vos. If she can pull it off, it would be a magical start to the Tour de France fam and such a, a historic day. And we can see they're building up to the big sprint. We can see them coming towards us. One huge block towards the line. All the riders across the road now. Coming in across the line. And it's Lorena Uibus of Team DSM who comes across and they are steaming through. They're coming, here they come, here come the peloton, here they come. Lorena Uibus now, she's just got pulled off of her bike. She's sitting on the floor, she's trying to take it all in. Teammates are now crowding round her. Shaking her hand, giving her a high five, patting her on the back. Congratulations by everyone. She looks overcome with emotion. Her parents are there, hugging them. Hey! That was Annemiek van Floyd. Yeah, well, there's a lot of uh, chaos here at the finish line on the Champs-Élysées. There's still, uh, it's been many, many minutes now since the race finished and there are riders still everywhere. 
There's a ride, unfortunately, from the Saint Michel team who looks like that she's uh, she's really uh, struggling. She's lying out on the floor. She's trying to get some fluids in, try and get some food. It, it's kind of a, a, a bit of a stark contrast because you can hear in the background the podium is warming up and uh, we'll be seeing, of course, the presentation of the first uh, yellow jersey of the Tour de France fam ever. And... Uh, yeah, you can hear that um, getting ready uh, over here. Of course, we're waiting now for Lorena Weebus to come and, and take the first ever yellow jersey of the Tour de France uh, fam. Uh, really special moment for her. I mean, she is undoubtedly the best sprinter. I mean, it might have been more of a beautiful moment, of course, if Mariana Voss, who's the greatest uh, cyclist of all time, if she had managed to, to take it. But uh, there's no doubt that Lorena Weebus is the strongest sprinter out there at the moment and so it, it's only appropriate knowing this arena of sprinting that is the Champs-Élysées that it would be her that would take the yellow jersey here today. <laughs> Voilà, félicité par l'hôtel Hôtel SLCL en présence de Janine Longo, lauréate du Tour de France féminin en 87, 88, 89, et Marianne Martin, lauréate du Tour de France féminin en 1980. See here now, Lorena Weber's putting on the first yellow jersey of the Tour de France fam. She's got a little baby on stage with a, a little baby and a, a lion, uh, which is almost the same size as the baby, I would say. Baby's not enjoying it as much as she is. Big smile on her face and uh, you see she's not someone who's normally uh, gets wrapped up in too much emotion Lorena but uh, she looks pretty emotional right now Rose there is a sense of history being made even though this isn't the first women's tour de France as we know um, but it's not so long ago, only a few years ago, that that would have been your lot with La Course. And now the Tour de France fam carries on. Uh, probably a sprint stage tomorrow. There's a gravel stage. There's um, La Planche de Belfi. It's a proper um, stage race. And it's off and running and underway. Yeah, it's so varied, the route that we've got, which, which is great. And, it, and hopefully it lends itself to a lot of aggressive racing and hopefully seeing some new names also coming to the fore. Um, but yeah, it was great to be back on the Champs Elysees. But it, as you said, uh, Lionel, that was the place 2014, 2015, 2016. The course was just, uh, I can't remember how many laps it was of Champs Elysees, but it seemed to go on, go on forever, I have to admit. But it, it's interesting seeing some of those riders will have done that, the course, uh, and uh, now being on the Champs Elysees this time. Interesting to see, I remember at La Course there were so many riders that would abandon, uh, obviously because it's a one-day race, so if you know we're near the front you may as well just quit. Obviously I'm not a pro rider, so that's why I'm not a pro rider, that kind of attitude probably, or a DS. Um, but yeah, it was so interesting that there was this kind, there was more to fight for uh, here today and I really think that, that you know, kind of got that uh, impression that there was also a yellow jersey on the line which I think was a huge motivating factor for a lot of the riders that were out there as well. Were you surprised by the identity of the winner, Lorena Rebus? Because, I mean, I wasn't. She was kind of the pre-race favourite. She is probably the best sprinter in the world. Uh, Elisa Balsamo may have a word to say about that and we might see later on in the week. But to see Rebus and Mariana Voss, who is basically the kind of iconic figure of women's cycling, 
shoulder to shoulder on the Champs Elysees, off to a great start. No, I think it's I think it's kind of fitting in a way. Uh, that Rena Weebus uh, won because she is without doubt I would say I'm not even sure that Elisa Balsamo would even say that that uh, you know she wasn't the absolute best most dominant sprinter in the peloton at the moment I mean she just wins everything and wins it by quite some margin um, I would have loved to have seen Mariana Voss uh, win it uh, I think it would have been you know, she's the greatest cyclist of all time and it would have been a, a, a real magical moment for her to have won it. And she actually won the first La Course that we had uh, here on the Champs-Élysées. Uh, but in a way, it is fitting for Lorena Weavers to win it. You know, Champs-Élysées is a great uh, arena for, you know, the greatest sprinters, all the best sprinters in the world on the male side have, have won here. So it's kind of fitting that, that she would win, even if... Uh, yeah, she's not, not the most emotive of riders. I think that's maybe uh, why she's not necessarily a fan favourite, but she's just one of those uh, incredible athletes. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll uh, let's we hear from her. We're going to uh, hear now from, first of all, hear from Pfeiffer Georgie, who is her teammate, who uh, was involved in a lot of the run-up to that sprint. Uh, and he's also her roommate, in fact. And then we'll hear a little bit from... The winner and the holder of the yellow jersey, Lorena Webus, uh, who I caught up with when she was in the mix zone. Well, Fiverr, how was it uh, out there today? Yeah, hard and hot, um, but yeah, pretty special actually. I think, yeah, the first stage of the first Tour de France Femme. Um, yeah, starting with the backdrop of signing on with the Eiffel Tower, I think you can't get much better than that really. And yeah, doing the iconic Champs Elysees, we yeah, watch the men do it every year. And to start our tour here, I think. Just everyone came to the line with a real buzz and we were yeah, completely motivated to make it a sprint for Lorena because she's yeah, obviously so strong and yeah, if we deliver her at the right time there's, we have the full confidence that she can put it off and yeah, to get the first yellow jersey I think that's something really special. And Because Lorena wins an awful lot so does this feel so much more special? Is it more elevated than the other wins that she gets? Yeah, I think just this event is pretty monumental in itself. And I think, yeah, today I guess we wrote a piece of history. Um, so for sure, we're going to enjoy this one. I think it was, yeah, it was completely a team effort with the girls controlling moves and then uh, delivering a lead out in, yeah, a pretty hectic finish. Um, so yeah, I think this one definitely feels, yeah, special and we're going to enjoy it. And uh, I mean, how focused was Lorena coming into this? Because I mean, she is, I think it's quite, um, you know, you can't even debate whether she's the best sprinter in the world or not because she just is so you know did she feel a lot of pressure coming into this well so I'm her roommate at the moment and I, surprisingly she was very calm and I think that's just who she is really she it, what, whether she feels the pressure I don't know she for sure doesn't show it um, I think yeah she knows what to do and yeah she has our full support and um, yeah all the girls are committed so I think we just go in with a plan and yeah deliver it as we can so I think in that sense she kind of doesn't take in too much of the external pressure maybe it comes to myself more um, but yeah it was went perfectly in the end actually and this must be great for the rest of the week because there are a few more flat stages to come you must take a lot of confidence from it yeah definitely I think yeah coming into the tour um, our goals are the 
Lorena for the sprint stages and Juliet for the GC. So I think, yeah, we're fully committed behind those two goals and um, the different days we'll have our yeah, different tasks. And yeah, I think the whole team's in really good shape. So I think there's a lot of confidence yeah, from us. So now you're going to be sharing the room with the yellow jersey? Yeah, pretty special, isn't it? <laughs> Are you going to try it on, Fiverr? No, 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 no. <laughs> we'll find a nice place for it on the, on the table. <laughs> Great, thanks very much. Thank you. It's, it's really nice. Um, I'm really enjoying it and um, yeah, it's a really special feeling. It was a goal from the beginning of the season already and um, we worked hard for it. Everyone of the team worked hard for it. Only not, the, not only people who are here but also at Service Course in Deventer. Everyone did their job and uh, we are really proud of this. Well, first uh, I'm going to enjoy tomorrow but also we will go for the uh, stage victory again. And uh, for the rest of the week, we will aim uh, for Juliet or GC. And if it's not too much effort, we will go to for the green jersey. There was a really symbolic moment on the podium, wasn't there? Because the yellow jersey was presented to Lorena Weber-Spy, Marianne Martin, who won the Tour Feminine, the first Tour de France for women back in 1984, invited here by the organisers. And um, it, it does feel like the, the sort of whole thing has come full circle. I, I think it was really nice that they invited Marianne Martin over to present the jersey and um, just acknowledge that this is a continuation of something that has been here in the past and um, you know a Tour de France for women is back on the calendar and they're ready to go. Yeah it's be exciting to see how this race evolves. Um, I actually caught up with uh, at the start line saw this little group of of ladies in all matching yellow t-shirts all of them said the originals on there and I thought hmm I wonder if they might be the original uh, cyclists who did the Tour de France back in the day back in the 80s Uh, and they were a a whole group well you'll hear from them now uh, a whole group of uh, different riders who did different dates from different countries uh, but they came together to uh, enjoy this special moment. Some of us are from the UK, and then we've got America, and uh, we've all got... And Germany, she's somewhere, in is. There she is from Germany, and we've all met up here to see the women's tour off, so we decided T-shirts would be nice for us to stand out and sort of make an impression that there was a, a tour in the 80s, and most of us, between us, I think we've covered every tour that ran in the 80s. So I'm going to go around this wonderful group, and if you can all give me your name and which year you, did, year you rode... Uh, Sue Gornall, I rode from 86 to 89. Mel Gravel, 87 to 89. Uh, Judith Painter, 84, 85, 86 and 88. Claire Greenwood, 1984 to 1993. <laughs> Linda Gornall, 1985 and 1989. Louise Garber, 84. Trish Liggett, manager, masseur, from 5. 94 to 90, no, 84 to 89, whatever it was. Mandy Jones, 1985. Susan Elias, 86, 87, 89. Ines Hagenkamp aus Germany, um, 86 and 87. Nan Deerdorf McLean, I did it in 1987. Wow, so how, how, do we, what was the best result that we had among you all? Who's Louise? Louise. Louise. White jersey. Yeah, white jersey. White jersey. Yeah. Catherine Swinnerton was second on the uh, Champs-Élysées yeah. in the sprint, yeah. so she was the best place individual on a, t- on a stage, yeah. I think. So yeah. what did you do, Susan? Uh, yeah, 89, fourth overall, blue jersey. Wow. Right, so how different is it is this race today than 
the race when it was back then. They have buses. <laughs> we were crammed into station wagons for one thing. Yeah. They have ice vests. They have ice vests. I don't remember ever getting an ice vest. <laughs> so tell us, what, what, what was it like when you were coming to uh, the Tour de France Feminin back in the day? What was your kind of like the preparation or what, you know, imagine you had to make your own way there or how was it? Well, uh, the year I did it, we were pretty well taken care of, actually. I didn't, I didn't have to pay for anything. But, uh, yeah, I think that was different the first year. For a lot of riders, it meant going into debt. Oh, wow. We were amateurs. We all had to go back to work and provide all our own equipment and everything to, to even come. So as soon as we got back, we were straight back to work to the day job. So it's, it's, it's brilliant how it's come on, yeah. The preparation was before the tour? Yeah. Oh, um, in Germany it was like that, that we went, uh, that we traveled around the world from February until October. And it started with a tour of Texas, then Tour de Lourdes, then Pasfiro in Norway, then um, uh, Colorado run part sometimes, and then the Tour de France. So we doesn't have to train a lot. And, and how big was the Tour de France back then? Was it much bigger than the other races, or was it still no, kind of just like any other race? It was the biggest yeah. race we did, and it was the first tour stage race, a big, long stage race. But we were amateur women as well, and we weren't allowed to ride. Long, the distances they do now are much longer than we were allowed to ride. So the other thing they did was they split the race into two parts and made it, because, again, Federate, the rules were we were not allowed to ride a stage race. Was it over 10 days yeah, originally? Day, yeah, we had to have a rest day to split it up. So, yeah. Wow. But, I mean, it was, I mean, so, but a 10-day stage is still more, that 10-day race is still more than they're doing this time oh, around. no, we ended up doing 18 we, days. Yeah, we had 18 we days. Yeah, yeah. We did all three weeks. And we finished at the same place as the men did, but we just started nearer the finishes. And we had more rest days. Because they were professional men and we were amateur women and we just weren't allowed to do... Not that we would want to ride 290 kilometres, I don't think, in one go. No. But, you know, massively different, yeah. So the, this is a start for the women that they're doing an eight-day stage. Yeah, it's good. So, someone was saying that the 1984 one was exactly the same as this. Yeah, we followed, we followed the end part of their route and cover the same stages and most of all we were with the crowd so it was just amazing the atmosphere it must have been good for the crowds as well to see the women race as well as the men yeah but how was i mean that must have been that's what got you around the crowd lifted you it's the only reason you kept going half the time you just wouldn't have and they pushed you and cheered for you and everything it was fantastic and what do you hope for for this race for the future of this that it grows to a longer race and it get the uh, support that it need you know that it deserves really especially yeah. the sponsorship and the and the tv coverage which will then bring in more sponsorship which will help it build do you guys you know wish you, that you had this uh, back in your day or kind of doing the longer race like cycling had to grow it had to grow from a, a grassroots you couldn't have given us this at that, on at that time no, it, it would have been, been mind-blowing this. this uh, yeah, it would have been a bit mind-blowing, I think, yeah. if we'd have had this, because we just weren't used to any... It was, yeah, no. yeah, too much of a jump yeah, in one go. Been, it's yeah. taken time. Yeah, I really like those ice vests. <laughs> Marianne Martin was featured in an episode of Kilometre Zero about the 1984 Tour de France. Her story was phenomenal, really. I mean, 
it is kind of night and day the the difference i mean this is a huge peloton really 144 riders i think started two non-finishers today um one rider outside the time limit and there was uh, quite a nasty crash for the cofferdist rider alana castrique um so she's out of the race but I think it was 36 riders started in 1984. So, I mean, you know, 142 riders will line up tomorrow. Um, it's a big peloton of women riders, because, I mean, even the women's tour field is sometimes only in the sort of 80s or 90s, isn't it? Yeah, it is a big field. And, there, and I have to say, there are... It'll be interesting to see over the coming days quite what the gap is between the, the top riders and the lower continental riders because there are some teams that I, I've actually never come across in a, at a race I, you know I know of their names um, but I've never come across them so it'll be very interesting to see how they fare and I have to say on the finish line there was some uh, riders from the continental team Sam Michelle and she was uh, she looked like she was really suffering really suffering but you have to remember that some riders have not got the same level of nutrition and uh, a lot of the riders in the peloton will still be um, uh, non-professional will still have jobs uh, that they have to contend with alongside their training Um, so yeah as much as it it, you know the Tour de France Femme is a great step um, I think it you know it is kind of clear that this isn't the professionalisation of women cycling. This is this isn't. Uh, it's nice to have a new race uh, with a new name, uh, but in many ways, the race here today felt a lot the same to many of the other stage races. I think that's kind of an important thing um, that you know we're not looking to have loads of eyes uh, on this one race a year. You know, it's important that this. Uh, is the catalyst to uh, people watching women cycling uh, across the year. Although it's difficult because obviously the men's uh, side of the peloton, that is the case. There's a lot of casual viewers who probably only watch the Tour de France. So it would be a real struggle to uh, get the women's peloton to do something different. But, you know, hopefully that, that, is, what, that is what happens. Yeah, it's another step on a journey, isn't it? I mean, and an important one. I mean, um, it will be really interesting to see. The top riders will obviously be completely used to the challenge in front of them. They've done the Giro before. Um, I mean, the the course here is challenging on some days. I mean, uh, it's probably smart that they put um, La Planche de Belfi at the end rather than sort of in the middle of the race for the benefit of the kind of the bottom third of the peloton, maybe. But... That's just because of the disparity between the top and the bottom, because the top is properly professional and the, the, the bottom of the peloton is not yet properly professional. And, you know, it's about bringing the bottom of the peloton up. And this is a really important step on that journey. So, you know, I think the focus will be on the front half of the race and, and rightly so. And I think we're going to see a great race unfold over the next few days. But I'm actually interested to know from Francois, because... You were here in the 80s, the late 80s, when the first incarnation of the Tour de France for women, the Tour Feminin, was being held. And, of course, it was held on the same day as the men's race earlier in the afternoon. You were working as a journalist, but how much was it on your radar back in sort of 86, 87, 88? To be honest, I mean, we were really taken over by the, the men's tour. But you, you had stars, and that's what you need, I mean, you know, for it to... It's, it's, it's a bit of a mystery of history that the Tour fam did, did not last, you know, because everything was there. You had Jeannie Longo, Maria Canins, you mentioned Marion Martin, but then, you know, it was the, the big battle between those two. Uh, 
And there was a very strong field of uh, German riders, American riders at, 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 the, at, at the time. There was, there was, well, a little bit... It was a little bit tighter than it is today, but you had you had 20 to 30 really competitive female riders at the time on the road, and it's it's a pity in a way uh, that that you know the the the, 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 the men's Tour de France didn't well didn't last because of uh, strictly financial and economic reasons because everything was there you know already uh, it was kind of a I know it's not, not a nice word, but kind of a miscarriage, you know. They, 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 everything was there. You had the stars, you had the, the wheel. Uh, I'm, I'm sure there was the money. And, and there would have been a following on, on TV and everywhere had they gone on, you know. Uh, but other, well, you know, we were in the late 80s, the early 90s. There's always this, I mean, the, the, the mood in terms, it's not, it's not a matter of men and women. But the mood at, at the time was, you know, Profit, you know, it was all about you know make things should be profitable, and there was no long-term view. And I think that Felix Leviton was the man who actually, as the tour director at the time, imposed that. Uh, uh, probably the, that long-term view that that, that was lacking uh, a little bit afterwards. And about the disparity in in levels, I, I think that's great. That's the way the Tour de France was made, and that's the way you know male professionalism went up. I mean, some girls are going to suffer a lot, but they're going to to, to really have a will to train harder, to uh, to to be even better the the, the, the year after. Remember at the Olympics, what happened? I mean, we, we can we can have a break with a great surprise at the finish as well. We can have unknown. Riders all of a sudden trying their their luck, and you 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 left you, you of course you know some riders getting dropped and suffering, and you know, the, and and probably others you know with the, the with the wheel and you know kind of taken by the 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 the, the, the importance of the event, you know, really go going you know over the limits, and 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 it, it's massively important for the, for the race. Uh, the, uh, of the level of, of women's cycling, so I'm, I'm I'm really thrilled. You know, I've said repeatedly that, that, that this is my last Tour de France. I mean, I mean, at least for the three weeks. I wouldn't mind covering the Tour Femme in the future. We'll hold you to that, Francois. Next year, <laughs> um, yeah, Rose, uh, you'll be doing all the driving. Francois will be in the nest in the back <laughs> in the car. <laughs> That's just how it goes. Well, Francois, your attempt to subvert the map vote didn't work I'm afraid the results are in you've been lobbying for Czech for three weeks uh, but Czech has not won the public vote uh, there were three designs that MAP came up with for our cycling podcast collaboration and the winning design will go into production and it is DOT the design which is kind of redolent of the late 1980s um, I initially preferred fade, but it, I think it was very close. When I saw the actual jerseys on photographed on real people, uh, they came to life. And uh, so very happy that uh, Dot has won and will go into production and a little buffalo motif will be added somewhere. So I'm looking forward to seeing where the map designer Misha puts the buffalo logo. Um, bad luck, Francois. Well, I suppose most of our listeners, uh, you know, were teenagers and discovered the Tour de France in the late 80s. And uh, that, that's a little bit of a nostalgia. Hey, you know, come on, young, you come on, the 60-year-olds, guys born in the 60s. You know, next time, well, just first of all, listen to the second podcast. And then next year or when it's another poll like this, votes like me. <laughs> well, we're really looking forward to seeing the jersey at 
in real life when it is produced and it will go on sale a little bit later this year check out all of maps clothing at map.cc that's m-a-a-p.cc we're delighted to be partnering with them this year now just over there francois uae team emirates who obviously came into the race with a very strong lineup all stacked up behind today pagacha who of course led the race he had three stage wins finished second overall after being cracked first on the col de granon by uh, jonas vingegaard best young rider by some distance held the white jersey from start to finish but the team was really wiped out by covid wasn't it george bennett uh, vigard stekalengen both out with covid um, Rafael Micah had COVID but his symptoms weren't deemed serious enough but then he had to pull out because uh, he tore his muscle when his chains broke on the stage to Foix uh, Solaire had a terrible day on the road to Foix as well and was outside the time limit throwing up on the bike and Mark Hershey he's been riding on empty really from the start pretty miraculous that he's made it through at all probably their strongest supporter supporter strongest support rider was brandon mcnulty who was absolutely incredible on the stage to peragud but i don't know whether we can pinpoint the kind of the cracks in the team as being the thing that let pogacha down really what let pogacha down was that vingegaard attacked him hard and he didn't have the response needed when it was required mm, he was just beaten by a better rider and if you if we take the team results i mean three stage wins and brandon mcnulty confirming what we know about him that is is also a rider for the future i mean he is he is also in the young you know uh, rider competition i think in third place uh, and uh, and i mean he showed you know when when it mattered that he uh, you know he can also be uh, you know great great prospect for the future so as as a as an overall team performance of course they went they came here for to win the tour but can you be disappointed as a team with three stage wins a guy winning the uh, young rider jersey and finished second in the tour de france I don't think so. Into the final 10 kilometers now, and I think it's only two riders up front now. Shackman is one of them, and Jonas Roots of EF is the other. Uh, who's over there, Francois? Bahrain victorious. I mean, a, a pretty lukewarm tour for them, really, bar Fred Wright's performances. Second at Saint-Étienne in the break and looking really good a couple of days ago at Cahors, and eighth in the time trial yesterday. Uh, but you know, Matty Mohoric, very quiet. Uh, Luis Leon Sanchez doing it for the old guys, 14th overall and a third place at Mejev. Uh, Dylan Turns had some moments, but they lost Jack Haig on the cobbled stage for a crash and uh, Damiano Caruso with COVID. Um, yeah, a disappointing tour for them, considering what they had come into it, hoping for a high overall finish for Haig. Yeah, well, Jack Haig, very unlucky. He's the second year in succession that he's out of the tour on, on, with a crash. Uh, last year they had four stage wins the, the, none this year but Fred Wright was the only you know light in, in, the, in the tunnel in a way I mean it, it's strange I mean I'm, I'm, I'm not you know don't think about anything about what I'm going to say but the, 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 the two teams who had you know kind of doping implications at the start of this tour or during this tour as uh, Barren because they were raided by uh, French gendarmes before the, the tour and Astana who had, you know, Miguel Angel, uh, Andre Lopez questioned by the police. Uh, well, they, they, they underperformed. Uh, of course, no relation whatsoever between the two facts, but, it, but, but that's it. And uh, yeah, very strange to see Bahrain, who were so dominant last year and with all those wins uh, being so, yeah, so pedestrian uh, in this Tour de France. AG2R Citroën, 
Bob Jungle saved their tour for them, really. I mean, it was extraordinary that he was positive for COVID. He was the first rider that was allowed to carry on despite having COVID, but being symptomless. I think I'm right in saying that. But he won a phenomenal stage win at Châtel and um, clawed his way up into 12th place overall, despite not really being in the overall race. But they had some really tough days. I mean, Ben O'Connor was struggling right from the off and eventually pulled out, had a spate of Covid positives. Uh, Cosnefroix and Paris Painter have been very quiet. I think Paris Painter is out of the race, isn't he? But uh, I think they're finishing with just three riders as well. Yeah, I mean, uh, Bob Junglus really, you know, saved the tour for them. Uh, really, I mean, on the, the, one of the most depleted teams at, the, at, at this Tour de France for, for a team that had, you know, real, real ambitions. We're happy because Bob Junglus was you know, one of the buff, Buffalo's uh, favorite riders. He, he was all, always mentioning Bob Junglus in, uh, you know, when we were making predictions ahead of, uh, of some of our, you know, or time trials or classics and well Bob Jungers at long last after really struggling with uh, vein problems you know uh, finally uh, has made it and it's, uh, it's well it's great for the, fu- for the future the riders have just gone through the finish line hearing the bell one lap to go on the Champs-Élysées the two leaders have been caught so the peloton all back together uh, six and a half kilometres well that's the length of the lap isn't it uh, what about team DSM Roman Bardet had uh, well, he was up and down on the escalator, wasn't he? When uh, you know, looking really, really good after the Col de Granon stage, where he was third, and that put him second overall. Um, but he went up and down, and eventually managed to finish in seventh place. No real stage results other than that to talk of, except for Alberto Dainese's third place in Cahors. I suppose as we're coming down to the final uh, sprint for the line, or are we? Uh, Dainese is an out of outside chance for a stage win here on the Champs-Élysées but DSM with putting everything into an overall bid for Roman Bardet uh, I suppose it meant that they weren't chasing stages as they had done in the past to very good effect a few years ago 2020 the lockdown tour they were exceptional of course yeah another team that really didn't know what they were you know trying to do on this tour because I mean Bardet said from the beginning that he was not going for GC that he was chasing stage wins and and very early he found himself so well placed in the GC that you know stage wins were out of the question and after that he was finished he was trying to to have the best GC position Andreas Lechnesun was uh, seen you know in, in breaks and trying hard from time to time but Overall, I guess they probably a better GC uh, finish by Bardet than they expected, but unfortunately no stage win. Well, we've got three teams to wrap up. We'll do that after we've watched the finish of the stage. We've just seen Ineos go to the front with around five and a half kilometres to go and today Pogacar in the white jersey, uh, causing some splits at the front. So the race is really on now. Obviously, some people are trying to... Uh, well, what are Ineos trying to do? Are they trying to set up Filippo Ganna, maybe, for a sort of Cancellara-style effort? We'll have to watch and see. Under five kilometres to go now. We'll wrap up the stage after this. Science in Sport is supporting the cycling podcast at the 2022 Tour de France. Science in Sport, fueled by science. Thank you very much to Science in Sport for supporting the cycling podcast. As ever, you can get 25% off everything at scienceinsport.com with the discount code SISCP25. 
Francois, we've just watched the sprint on the Champs-Élysées. Bike Exchange looked to have it really well organised. Luca Mezjek pulled off and left Dylan Groenewegen. And maybe did he leave him a little bit too much to do? Uh, because Jasper Philipsen came up on the other side of the road for Alpersen de Koenig and got his second stage win of the race after winning at Carcassonne. Uh, or last Sunday, wasn't it? So he's mm. he won two Sundays in a row. He's also had two second places and a third as well. And when you consider how few opportunities there have really been for sprinters, that is a very good haul. And really um, salvages the Tour de France for Alpecin de Koenig because Matthew van der Poel was very much under par for the week that he was in the race. He pulled out on the Col de Granon stage looked a shadow of him for myself and uh, especially when you compare him with the other two from the great cyclocross generation Wout van Aert and Tom Pidcock a very disappointing tour for van der Poel but a great one for Jasper Philipsen yeah well I mean you know he was he uh, was to blame for one of the freak, freak incidents of this sort of France when he celebrated victory uh, when actually Wout van Aert had attacked and he didn't know that and you know van Aert won uh, his first stage on, on this Tour de France uh, so well <laughs> this time he didn't celebrate before he'd won you know he really did it in uh, yeah, great great style and uh, and in you know, kind of a swashbuckling fashion I, th- I think he was probably uh, f- for what we saw and given his second place as well behind uh, Van Aert that day probably the most consistent sprinter in this in, in this Tour de France and and, and that's it uh, well one thing to note is that we, because we're talking about Van Aert he didn't go for uh, uh, you know Paris double after winning the, the Champs Elysees last year. Uh, obviously, the the, 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 the the aim the aim of the game today was to make sure uh, Jonas Vingegaard crossed uh, the line safely, and so Van Aert didn't even try to you know indulge in a sprint today. Uh, and well, you know, he had done more than enough throughout the, the Tour de France, and uh, so you know, well, congrats to him, of course. Two more teams to sum up, Francois. Ineos Grenadiers, again, on paper, uh, they would say if you offered them third place at the start of the Tour, they probably would have taken that because they weren't coming in with with one of the big favourites. Geraint Thomas, 36 years old, and even after the result in the Tour de Suisse where he won there, I'm not sure I thought he was capable still of finishing on the podium. You thought differently, Francois, I'm happy to say you were right. Geraint Thomas finishing third, Adam Yates 10th, although maybe a little bit disappointing here and there. The star performance, though, from the team was Tom Pidcock winning on Alpe d'Huez. The descent of the Galibier was the sort of thing that does, uh, well, it gets people hooked on the on the edge of the, their seats and uh, all those other cliches. I can imagine uh, kids watching that and thinking, wow, cycling's a sport for me, because that's the sort of thing that uh, really caught my attention when I was a kid. Um, Philippe Ogana fourth and fifth in the two time trials uh, but a, a pretty good tour for Ineos Grenadiers but not what they're used to I guess well I mean they, they, they set the bar you know so high in the past that you know every, every performance outside from winning the tour is seen as a kind of a disappointment on, on the podium again after being on the podium last year with the Richard Carapaz uh, you know, maybe not with the guy they were expecting. Maybe Danny Martinez was probably the the, the big disappointment. He, uh, he had health issues as well, and and was much better in the in in the in the last week in the Pyrenees. But I mean, you know, when you, you have the guy in, in on the podium, a guy in tenth place, and you win the stage in Lap d'Huez with one of the most exciting young talents uh, of, of the peloton, uh, you can't really be disappointed. And we've left the best team in the race till last. 
Jumbo Visma not winning the team classification, but winning the yellow jersey and the polka dot jersey with Jonas Vingegaard, winning those six stages, um, three of them for Wout van Aert, two of them for Vingegaard and one for Christophe Laporte in Cahors. Uh, Vingegaard's been in yellow since cracking Tadej Pogacar on the Col de Granol. Wout van Aert, of course, had the yellow jersey at the start. He's been in green since Denmark. I mean, they've had their disappointments and difficulties as well, haven't they? Primoz Roglic with the incident with the hay bale on the cobbled stage, um, pulling out of the race after a couple of weeks. Uh, Krausweich out and Nathan Van Hooydonk out as well. It was a nice moment where they were riding on the front of the peloton as they came into Paris today and um, one of the Jumbo Visma riders held up Van Hooydonk's number uh, just to acknowledge the part that he's played in Vingegaard's win. And as you say, Van Aert not going for, uh, you know, even even cannibals are satisfied eventually, I guess. Um, but an incredible tour for them. Yes, I mean, you know, everything went according to plan for them. Textbook performance from uh, A to Z. I mean, from in the past, there was always something going wrong, you know, for them. Uh, in spite of the the strengths were there, uh, the, the the luck, the luck, the tactics, you know, uh, health issues. I mean, there was always a little something going wrong. Uh, during the, the Pogacar years. I mean, we remember Roglic losing on the last day to Pogacar and, and last year uh, Roglic again pulling out and Vingegaard revealing himself, but, you know, maybe a little bit tender yet to, uh, to, to tackle Pogacar. And this time, really, I mean, there were very, very few moments of, uh, you know, well, on the cobbles. Yeah, they, they had a bad day on the cobbles, but, they, and that's what's important when you're the, the best team in the, in the tour. You, 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 you manage to saved uh, you know what can be saved on on the bad days and and they did that they did it very well so yeah n nothing to say i mean you know when you look at the, the results what, what what they won on which terrains they won uh taking the uh well taking almost all the jerseys in uh, in on offer except the the the, the young uh, rider that pogacar won you can hardly do any better there was a spiky moment or two in the press conference yesterday with Vingegaard and Van Aert and we'll talk about that when we debrief. We'll catch up on the, the, the official results and just make sure we haven't missed anything from um, the, you know, everything uh, that's gone on as they've crossed the line there. And I mean, I'm not anticipating that uh, you know, Louis Menkes has jumped up a couple of places or, uh, or Roman Bardet slipped down or anything, but we will just double check the results. Uh, we'll, we'll have a, an end of the tour beer and a, and a recap a little bit later on, Francois. But, uh, well, let's go and wander around the team buses. Well, Francois, we're back in the bar. The Tour de France is now over. Um, I mean, it's, what, why are you laughing? I mean, we do spend a lot of time recording podcasts in bars. You know, but it sounded like, you know, right now the Tour de France is over, you know, back to normal, we're back in the bar. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, yeah. Uh, well, uh, well, let's move on. Um, as we said, Jasper Philipsen won the stage ahead of Dylan Groenewegen. I said we'd recap how the rest of the top ten looked. Alexander Christoph was up there in third place. Jasper Sturven fourth, Peter Sagan fifth, Jeremy Lecroc sixth. I feel a, bit, a little bit um, mean about taking the mickey about his uh, time trial performance now. Danny Van Poppel seventh, Caleb Ewan eighth, Ugo Ofstetter another ninth place. I mean, you can set your watch by Ugo Ofstetter finishing ninth and Fred Wright tenth, which is uh, perfect for us because the Pedaler de Charme Award has been voted for by the public on Twitter. All of our listeners have uh, voted 
and Fred Wright has won convincingly ahead of Magnus Court for his attacking Never Say Die spirit. So we will get one of Stacey Snyder's beautiful Pedaleur de Charme cups to Fred Wright at the earliest opportunity. Well done, Fred. Uh, speaking of Stacey's cups, the Tour de France fan batch of cups and cappuccino sets and espresso sets and whiskey cups go on sale tomorrow, Monday, at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, US, which is 3 p.m. UK time and 4 p.m. in Central Europe. So go to Stacey Snyder's Etsy page. There's a link on our website, thecyclingpodcast.com. Uh, you're going to have to be quick, though. Uh, but the mugs with the buffalo motif on, uh, well, they're sure to sell out quickly. Now, before we go, Francois, what were your thoughts about yesterday's press conference? Because uh, Jonas Vingegaard and Wout van Aert faced a couple of spiky questions about doping. Um, we were commenting about how the doping question really hadn't been posed to Vingegaard throughout this tour. A number of reasons for that, perhaps. But uh, what did you think of the press conference yesterday evening? Yeah, I mean, Kate Wagner, you know, was whom you know from you know the the, the second podcast she comes from time to time she's a she's a friend of ours she she did her job she she did the job you know that should have been done before i think it was not a nasty doping question it was it was it was an interesting question the question was to to sum it up why you know every time there was a performance on the tour de france in the next in the last decade in the last years i mean for the last 25 years there was always doping questions coming up why in this tour de france did did we have to wait for the very last press conference to have a doping question it is it, it is i mean in a way it, it is it is you know kind of a homage to uh, jumbo visma that that no uh, allegation no suggestion that doping might be involved had come to anybody's mind before the last day so you know ju- just to ask that question how I would have worded it a little bit differently. I wanted, if Kate Wagner had not asked a question, I would have asked a question. I would have said, Jonas, there's always doping questions at press conference in the Tour de France almost daily for the past 25 years. There was not any one throughout this Tour de France. How, why do you think that is? I mean, that, that, I think that's, and, 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 and then I, I think he might, he might have had, you know, answers saying, well, the, the competition was open, uh, there was action every day, um, uh, it, it was not over-dominant, I mean, Pogacar was in the, always fighting, you know, there was not, I think, I think that probably doping allegations get more, I could I say, present, valid, or seem valid uh, when there, there's, one guy dominating the, the rest of the field. It was a case with Chris Froome. Chris Froome never won a Tour de France without, you know, his performances being put into doubt. Tadej Pogacar was, I mean, we didn't have the time to, to question his performances in, in his first two wins because he was only leading the Tour on the last day. But, but there, there, were, there were certainly in the last Tour many, many allegations and suspicions around Tadej Pogacar. I mean, you know, his, his coach was interviewed. The past of the of UAE Emirates was scrutinized uh, because, as we know, Maro Gianetti, Machen Fernandez have uh, a doping past record. But, and, but in, in this case, nobody questioned uh, the, the past of Jumbo Visma, which used to be Rabobank, the, the last Danish, the, the last Danish. Uh, you know, jersey holder was Ma- uh, Michael Rasmussen, the last uh, uh, winner of two, Danish winner of Tour de France was Bjarne Ries. And for for what? How come? Uh, 
Vingegaard seems to be kind of a virgin of all these, you know, uh, immune of all these, uh, um, uh, you know, links and uh, with the past. And, and and that's a question in itself. I, I myself don't, don't think there is any, anything dodgy about uh, Jonas Vingegaard. I don't know. I have any. I don't have any proof. Nothing li seems to me uh, extraordinary, except probably the pace of the tour, the the, the, the fastest tour ever. But, but yeah, that, that's an in interesting point in itself. I mean, you know, dear listeners, I would, as Chiro would say, how come the the, 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 the the shadow, the cloud of doping that's been, you know, roaming over the Tour de France for, for so long, well, how come it was, you know, it was not there in, in this tour? Yeah, I think the team itself has done well to break with the past. I mean, the Jumbo Visma team has evolved out of Rabobank, which was effectively brought down by doping scandal. I mean, Rabobank pulled out as a result of uh, the, the doping scandals and the Michael Rasmussen, you know, getting within sight of Paris in 2007 in the yellow jersey and, and, and then being pulled out of the race. Um, but I think the team has done a good job. The organisation has done a good job of having a break from the past. Almost nobody from that era... Um, remains. I mean, Franz Masson rode for um, the, the team in its past incarnation. Grisha Neerman rode for the team. Um, but organisationally, you know, they did have a kind of a reset after the Blanco-Belkin uh, period. And then Jumbo Visma was a, almost a refresh. Walt Van Aert was asked by our colleague Johnny Long a, a question about doping as well. And I wasn't terribly impressed with Van Aert's um, response. I mean, he, he described it as a shit question. Why do we always have to face this question? I don't think it is a shit question. I think it's a question that the riders, however unfair they feel, it's a question they have to engage with. And if they're struggling to understand why it's being asked, then Walt Van Aert could ask some older people in the team, um, you know, some uh, riders from the, the 90s or the 2000s, why am I getting asked this question? Because the history of cycling tells you exactly why that question is asked. On the other hand, if Van Aert is training and racing completely clean, I can completely understand him feeling aggrieved at being um, asked the question and having the finger pointed at him that his performances are so good that they must not be on the level. So it's a tricky one. And I think in cycling, we can't have an era of superstars. We can't lord Wout Van Aert as kind of the, um, the Swiss army knife of cycling who can do almost everything. And then when they actually get the result over the line and they put the yellow jersey in the suitcase, then say, ah, oh, but hang on a minute, you know, the questions have to be asked. So I think it's a really tricky balance. I would also say on this tour, I mean, the COVID tour was difficult, but this has been a kind of COVID tour. The journalists have been kicked out of the team bus area in the starts um, since the end of the first week. There has been less access to riders and team management. The, the, I don't want to get into the kind of the how exactly how we work every day, but the finish area is different to the start area. So there isn't that opportunity for the kind of the, the longer, more informal, more relaxed conversation with team staff about what's going on in the race. And so there does feel like there's a bit of a barrier in between uh, the media and um, and the riders and the staff. But there's another interesting thing about uh, about that question. In the past, in the past 20 years, since the Festina scandal, you always got allegations. Let's say the th things are, are, are as they are, because once again, I, I won't be in that business uh, uh, very long, so I can say 
this type of things. Most of the allegations, suspicions, and accusations you you heard from journalists come from writers. You know, usually when 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 some guys oh look at you know that team or look at that writer. The the, the, the the insinuations come from talking to other writers who say, look, this guy is not doing things properly. And, and actually, our sources on a lot of doping allegations, doping stories or doping suspicions are not just fancies or don't crop out, up from our imagination. It's come from other teams questioning the performances of other teams. It comes from writers questioning the, the performances. I mean, writers in the bunch should know better than we do. So if sometimes they feel something is dodgy, they, they, they probably have grounds to, 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 to make these allegations. To be honest, in this Tour de France, I didn't hear that many allegations by Jumbo Visma or by anybody or Tadej Pogacar. So the other riders seem to re- seem to respect what what you know what Jumbo Visma are doing, what what all the riders performing what are doing as uh, legitimate, uh, as you know, as clean. Uh, which is probably one reason why the, the question has not been posed in the first place. Yeah, I think we're on a sticky wicket if we use excellence as a, um, a a catalyst for suspicion I mean somebody has to be the best um, we've said this all the way you know through the, the last number of years and I guess what you're saying Francois is that you know there isn't the kind of the the, the, the smoke of suspicion around Jumbo Visma that perhaps we've had around other teams and other riders in in past um, years but um, it's a it's a question that does still need to be asked at the Tour de France and I, I think that the riders need to understand the historical context of why those questions get asked and and hats off to Kate and to Johnny Long for asking those questions in the press conference yesterday. Um, speaking of Kate Wagner we've got a Kilometre Zero episode that she's been making this week which will go out I think on Monday possibly Tuesday uh, depending on um, depending on how quickly we can get it made. That I mean let's be transparent about it um, but that will be out very soon and uh, Francois we're nearly at the end of the Tour de France it's nearly time to go to the Brasserie Mollard where we're going to have our final Tour de France meal will it be a good one? Yeah I mean I, I like I, I love uh, Parisian brasseries I wrote a book about them that there's even a, uh, an English version if you, if you look for it um, yeah Mollard is, is the, 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 the decor the, the, the place is beautiful uh, it, it it kind of it's from the the early 20th century and they were trying at the time the uh, there was a trend well there was art nouveau of course and this is very art nouveau but there was also a trend to try and call neo neo moorish they were trying to, to to do this kind of exotic you know middle east style so so actually this restaurant looked like turkish bath in a way um well, well, hopefully it'll be a little bit cooler than a Turkish bath, but yeah, and 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 the food is you know typical Parisian brasserie. Uh, it's it's quite trad, you know, pretty uh, simple and and classic, but usually very well done. So yeah, looking forward to it. Well, we really ought to get there, Francois, for our final Tour de France meal. Um, that just leaves me to say thank you to a few people. First of all, and most importantly, thank you to all the listeners for tuning in during the Tour de France again this year and also for your messages either by email or social media. Really appreciate every uh, bit of feedback that we get. 
a special thanks to our friends of the podcast because you've carried on supporting us and uh, well we haven't yet delivered any of the friends of the podcast episodes since uh, the spring uh, well for obvious reasons uh, we've been um, you know working out how to put together the podcast without Richard Moore for one thing uh, but we will be delivering some friends of the podcast episodes at the end of the year so thank you very much for your continued support thank you very much to mitch and to ian for their insight and company during the tour de france uh, i really enjoyed my week with mitch um, very sad that i only had one day with ian a big thank you to rose for holding things together so brilliantly while i was unable to be on the tour thank you to our friends of the podcast who popped in from time to time ed and kate and julianne and uh, chiro scognamilio of course a big thank you to david luxton and everyone at david luxton associates for their support our production team we couldn't make the podcast without them they are absolutely fantastic night after night adam bowie john mooney will jones hugh owen and tom wally and of course our sponsors without whom we wouldn't be here super sapiens science in sport map and the people at audio boom who host all of our episodes uh, but the biggest thank you is to you francois um, you've been saying that this will be your final full tour de france and um, well i have no reason to doubt you um, but i hope that you'll join us for maybe a few days perhaps if the tour passes marseille you'll jump into the nest and stay with us for a few days and uh, continue your contribution to the cycling podcast because this year above all uh, your um, willingness to do the full three weeks because i know retirement was half on your mind last year but after richard died um, you committed to the full three weeks and frankly the podcast wouldn't have got to paris without you um, your insight your humor um, your laid back attitude to life has been a big help to me over the last week certainly and um, it's been an absolute pleasure and a privilege to travel with you since Dusseldorf in 2017 and so um, I hope you'll be back for a few stages um, next year. Well it's, it's, it's almost definitely my last Tour de France I mean as a whole but, but it's not my last it's not the last time you hear my voice on the podcast for sure. Very glad to hear that. Um, well, that is it for the 2022 Tour de France. We're going to play out with the Tour de Buffalo. And, uh, well, Richard always had the honour of saying farewell at the end of every episode of our Tour de France coverage. And this is a little montage put together by our producer, Tom Wally, a kind of greatest hits of the farewells from Paris by Richard Moore. The Tour du Buffalo, remembering Richard Moore. That's all for the 2018 Tour de France for now. Thank you, Lionel. Thank you, Richard. <laughs> Thank you, Francois. Merci, les gars. We did a bit of ABBA. We did. We we yeah, covered I'm, lots I'm, of I bases. mean, I nearly went. Yeah, I nearly went for a winner takes it all because it, it really would have applied to Kath, but he didn't win this thing. Uh, Kath Pogacar with his jerseys on the podium. Wat van Aert. There were two kind of big winners, weren't there? Would have. Would have I mean, applied, Mitch, yeah. nothing <laughs> to stop you now singing us out with the winner takes, take, I takes actually, it uh, Yeah, I don't know the lyrics to that one. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think on this note, bye-bye. <laughs> yes. Thank you very much, Francois. <laughs> Thanks, Richard. Thank you, Lionel. Thank you, Richard. It was always all right. You, you were going through the hotel list there, and it does conjure up all these great memories that you kind of you forget the next day but then you look back and they all come flooding back and you know the podcast stand is a audio record of this 
Tour de France, hopefully. Uh, anyway, let's wrap things up, shall we, Lionel? It's it's farewell from Paris and farewell from the 2016 Tour de France. Yeah, ah, oh, it's sad, isn't it? But we we'll get the Eurostar home tomorrow, and we'll we'll miss being here by about tomorrow afternoon. Although, uh, yeah, yeah, we'll be back again next year. But see what we can conjure up for the welter, shall we? Cheer up, Lionel. It'll it'll come round again sometime soon. Yeah. Cheerio. Thank you, Richard. Thank you, Lionel. Thank you to you, Richard. Thanks, Lionel. Thanks to you, Orla. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Simon. Thank you, Lionel. <laughs> thank you, listeners. Uh, yeah. Thank you, listeners. Thank you, thank you very much, listeners, who Bye. have listened in record numbers this year, and we're very grateful to that. We'll be back soon. Thank you. The Cycling Podcast was created in 2013 by Richard Moore, Daniel Freed, and Lionel Burney. Thank you. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.